Hello, and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. back to the New Life Lutheran Podcast. If you have not joined us for a while, you are actually stepping into part three of our series on prayer, which means if this is the first you're hearing my voice and talking about prayer, do me a favor, pause what you're listening to and go back. Listen to part one and part two because it's, it's all building towards something. It's all going to help you move forward in your spiritual journey connected to prayer, and so I don't want you to miss out. So like I said, do me a favor, pause it, Start at part one and then come join us back here in part three. But today we're going to continue our conversation with myself, Pastor Ben, Pastor Eric, our discipleship pastor, and Pastor Phil, an actual eyewitness account to the majority of the gospel writers. <laughs> so we're pretty excited about that to have I'm that, that insight. <laughs> no, of course, I'm kidding. Uh, pastor Phil, though, does have a lot of wisdom. He is our teaching pastor, and so we're excited to have him back after a little short hiatus. Uh, But today, we are going to have a conversation about prayer, and really, we're going to cover two questions. How do we pray, and what should we expect when we pray? But if we ask the first question, how do we pray, we aren't actually the first ones to ask this question in history. In fact, the disciples asked this of Jesus. And this is an amazing question, because if you lived around Jesus and, and lived with Jesus, there's so many questions that you'd think you would ask him. You would think he would say, or they would say, teach me to preach, or mm. teach me to heal, or teach me to turn water into wine, which would be, you know, just really convenient and a, and a great budget saver. Uh, but instead, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, what's so amazing about this is they had been praying their whole lives, and they watched Christ's prayer life, and they said, teach us to pray. Now, these other things they couldn't do, but prayer they could do and had done, but there was something so different about how Christ prayed. And so as as Christ answered that question for them, he taught them what you know as the Lord's Prayer. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into this amazing prayer taught by Jesus to his disciples to teach them how to pray. And ultimately today, he, he does the exact same thing for us. We memorize it, we learn it, we think through it, and it teaches us how to pray in an appropriate way and in a powerful way. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to just break break down the Lord's Prayer for you. We're going to break it into bite-sized pieces so you can understand what you're praying, hopefully every Sunday at your church service or in your private life, so you can understand the power and the depth of, of, this, of this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. And so to start us off, we're just going to start with the, the first piece, and, and the pastoral staff, you're going to hear us work right through this, but I'm going to start with Pastor Eric, he's going to start us off, and then we're going to just kind of hand this around and work through this all the way until we come to the closing statement, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. 
All right, Pastor Eric, start us off. Yeah, so we, we start our uh, the Lord's Prayer with the introduction, which is Our Father. Um, and this is, this is central to the Lord's Prayer because Jesus has given us this prayer. And it is because of Jesus that we can even call God Father. And we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, about the centrality of Christ. But we don't go to God um, as if he's Zeus sitting on a cloud throwing lightning bolts at us. We don't go to him uh, like the prophets of Baal where we're cutting ourselves and we're pleading for him to do something. We go to him as our Father. So it's a gift to us to approach God uh, knowing and trusting that he's going to listen to us and he's going to give us what we need. So that's the introduction, our Father. Then we move into the first petition, uh, which is hallowed be your name. And a better translation than, than hallowed, which is just the traditional language, so it's, it's good, uh, but a better kind of English translation is from the Common English Bible, where they, they translate that, uphold the holiness of your name. Because Martin Luther was right in the small catechism that this is a petition. We're asking God to do something. We're not just praising him, but we're actually asking him to uphold the holiness of his name, to make himself known and famous in our hearts, uh, make himself known and famous in our community. Um, So we're actually asking him to make himself known and to draw us into uh, the worship and the praise and the prayer of him. So we pray, hallowed be your name or uphold the holiness of your name. Well, then you get to the the second and third petitions. But when Luther wrote this, if you read closely his meanings, the first, second, and third petitions are all tied together. They deal with the Word and the Spirit. Mm. Hallowed be your name. He, Luther turns to the Word and mm. says, to hallow his name is to have regard for his Word. The thir- second petition, thy kingdom come, Luther says, is the giving of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So... Mm. Um, thy kingdom come, does this mean God's kingdom come when he gives us his Holy Spirit? So by his grace, we believe his word and live a godly life on earth now and heaven forever. So that petition is about the giving of the spirit. The first one is about the word. And for Luther, spirit and word are kind of the nuts and bolts of the Christian faith. Then you get to the third petition, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Here, and you'll notice when Luther is praying, he's not. We're not saying, "Lord, help me to do something." Yeah, what right. the prayer is about is, "Lord, you do something. Mm-hmm. You um, you send your Spirit." And now in this third one, uh, God's will is done when our heavenly Father hinders and defeats every evil scheme and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful self. That that always hits me in the face is God. Work against me, work mm. against my sinful self. Mm. And so that, and then what he goes on to say is so that I would have regard for your word and your Holy Spirit would work in my life. And he concludes by saying, Keep me firm in your word as long as I live. So that's the conclusion of the meaning of the, sec- of the, of the third petition. It's about First of all, fighting against my sinful rejection of the word, my sinful blocking out the work of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And then he asks, let your spirit and your word so work in me that I remain faithful. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's his prayers to God are for not Lord help me do something. <laughs> it's Lord, you do your thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With your word and your spirit, give me life. And 
it really changes the whole outlook on the prayer. I mean, because when we think of prayer as we're petitioning God for something and help me do something, Luther turns it all around. Yeah. It's about God doing, praying God to do his thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the next two are, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so as we dive into these two, as we look at these two, um, this is what we see. We see, I need, we need, and then this changes how we see things. And so as we look into our, our daily bread, we're talking not about bread, obviously, uh, necessarily. We're not talking about, hey, God, provide us the bread section at Kroger's, and that's all I need to live. But we're talking about the stuff of life, right? The, the basic necessities, daily necessities of life. We're saying, God, provide for us. Um health and food and water and the things that can get us by. And so that's the, I, I need, Lord, I need these things to survive. But there's also the, we need, which is the reality is Christians and non-Christians need these things to survive. But as we as we talk about just the basics of life, it actually changes how we see the world. Because if we're requesting the basics of life, and then God provides more than enough, it changes how we see the more than enough. I mean, as as Americans especially, we are blessed beyond blessed. Mm. I mean, it's it's not an issue of, God, have you provided the daily needs? Do we have health? Do we have bread? Do we have water? Do we have food? Yeah, more than enough. Most of our problem is not, do I have enough food? But God, I'm eating too much food. You know, that's, that's mm. most of our, our lives. And mm. Lord, not do I have shelter, but my house is so big, I have to have a house cleaner. Or man, it's an irritation because it takes me a long time to clean my house. You see how uh, Americans, we have a whole different understanding of life. Mm-hmm. And so if we actually look at the rest of the world, I mean, this is a real prayer for them. God, get me through today. Mm-hmm. Get me to tomorrow. And this is the request. God, get me through today. Uh, let me have my daily necessities. But as Americans, as we pray this, this should change how we see the world, that this is the reality that most people have. And we should have an incredible spirit of gratitude. God, you have provided our daily necessities. You have given us more than enough. And God, because you have given us more than enough, we can actually live out our lives to actually provide the daily necessities for other people or to give towards your ministry and so we, we ask that God provides our daily stuff, but it also, as we pray that, it changes our perspective. The same is true of this next, this next part is forgive our trespasses. We need forgiveness, bottom line. We fall short on a daily basis. We think thoughts we shouldn't. We do things we shouldn't. We fail to do things that we should do. So we need forgiveness as individuals. But forgiveness is required across the whole landscape of humanity. We all need forgiveness. But the problem is many people uh, don't request it. They don't receive it. They don't see in the necessity of God or they don't uh, take an honest assessment of themselves. Or maybe they compare themselves to the person next door and say, well, I'm, I'm better than that person. So I don't really require God because it's some sort of game where I'm better, they're worse, and the top 10% go or whatever that is. So we see this necessity for forgiveness across the landscape. But as it goes on, this is one of the scariest verses and sections in the Bible. If I were to teach a sermon series on terrifying verses or, or whatever you want to call them, right? Horror movie verses. Uh, <laughs> this is one of them. I mean, listen, listen to this words. Forgive us our trespasses, right? We all get that. That's fine. That's easy to digest. 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, this is also one of those things is I need it, we need it, but it changes me because if I understand the forgiveness that God has given me, the rich forgiveness that God has given me, then it should change how I see other people when they need to receive my forgiveness or when they harm me. God has forgiven us an unbelievable debt. And for us to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness towards others is is absolutely insanity in light of what Christ has done in, in light of our Christian faith because we have received far above and beyond, much like food. We have received far above and beyond, so who are we to withhold? And the same thing is, mm. man, if, if this verse is what it says... Uh, and, and the request that we are making is, God, forgive us to the same level that we forgive others. That's scary. Mm-hmm. That's scary because that requires a recalibration of how we see the world. Of God, I, I need to offer forgiveness to everyone. Let withhold, you know, I need to not withhold forgiveness. I need to let go of bitterness. And, and God, let me always see the richness of your forgiveness. So in both of these, we see, I need, we all need. And this is how this changes me when I actually see this in light of what it is. All right, then our next two petitions, the last two petitions of the, the Lord's Prayer are lead us not into temptation, and then, but deliver us from evil. So the last two petitions, uh, last two parts, well, there's one more that's a conclusion, uh, but the last two petitions. And so this first one is lead us not into temptation. Another way that this can be translated is lead us not into the time of trial. Uh, because we know that God does not tempt us uh, with sin. He does not dangle sin in front of us to try to to get us to slip up. Um, but there are times of trial that we go through. There are times of testing um, that God does, in fact, put us through. And so what we're asking God for here um, is the prayer that Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. Lead me not into the time of testing. We can, And, and we should be asking God to rescue us from these times where the our the sin sin the, the our flesh and the devil are testing us and are tempting us to sin. Um, we ask God to deliver us from those things. So rather than being in the hands of our flesh, this our our sin and the devil, we're in the hands of God, who we know that when we are tested by God, it is for our good and it's for the right things that He wants for us. Um, but when we are when we are tempted and tested by the devil by sin by our flesh, we know that that's leading us into a dangerous place. So we ask God to deliver us from those things so that we're not in the hands of um, those things, of, of the flesh and the world and sin, but instead are in the hands of God. And then lastly, but deliver us from evil. Um, again, another translation might be deliver us from the evil one. There's kind of a personal aspect to this evil. Um, and this is specifically uh, deliver us spiritually from uh, the devil and his workers, and protect us to the end of our life um, from evil, so that we may enter the kingdom of heaven um, after we after we die and are resurrected. So that kind of points us forward um, to a final deliverance. We ask, do not lead us into the testing or temptation now, and then we say, but deliver us completely from evil, which we know will come. Um, in the future. So we're kind of praying into the future and asking that God would ultimately free us, um, which we know he promises that. Um, but this is a way that we can um, gain assurance from him and we can know um, that he is going to deliver the goods that he are, has already promised us.
And then the the conclusion, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, excuse me, forever and ever, really isn't in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. It's an addition. If you look at uh, translations of uh, your your version of Matthew 6, it'll generally put those words kind of in italics at the bottom or something, because most of the earlier manuscripts do not have that, but the word they do have is amen, and that's the part that Luther focuses on. Amen means yes, it shall be so. And it, and in that he sees that Amen says recognizes that God both commands us to pray and promises to yeah. hear us, and and you've got those two aspects motivate us. The the command to our sinful self, you must pray. So it forces me to confront my inertia that doesn't want to pray, that feels cold and indifferent. I just got to get started at this. Mm -hmm. And then the promise, when you do pray, God hears you. He wants to hear you. And he understands you he understands you better than yourselves, mm-hmm. and and he he listens to the depth of who you are. If you we often portray God, we, we think of God as sort of like a, a public figure who comes on stage and looks over a vast mm-hmm. of array of faces, a, a, an ocean of faces, mm-hmm. and you know waves at somebody, making you think they actually know somebody out there. But God is not like that. He looks upon the vast ocean of human beings but knows each one of us intimately and listens to us and knows what we need and responds to us. Mm-hmm. That it, God is intensely personal with each one of us. And only, I can't do that. Only God can pull that off. But that is something that where we must have, we can draw our confidence that he really does understand me and really does listen to me and knows my situation. And uh, so the amen is... Now, the, as for the thine is the power, kingdom, power, and the glory, is a, it, it was added mostly um, by Protestants after the Reformation. They tended to draw on that, and it, it was. Uh, but it 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 it's perfectly within the scriptures. I mean, uh, it acknowledges God's greatness, His kingdom, and His glory. So um, it's it's a beautiful petition, and no reason for us to exclude it by any means. Right. Yeah. So we've worked through the the Lord's Prayer, as you've heard, and I. I have to imagine, obviously, I wasn't there, and I know we joke, Pastor Phil wasn't there either, just to be clear. Uh, but when the disciples heard this, I, I think it just kind of put them in awe and silence of the depth and rich, richness, and really probably that first part just really threw them when he started with our Father and gave them the option to pray that way, this personal connection. That's right. I mean, everything that they had been built up was, you can't go so far. You can only go so far in the temple. Only people of that stature can go in there. And there was this, this separation, but this breaks down that barrier. That's right. And I believe they spent the rest of their life praying this prayer and, and realizing each and every day a deeper understanding of this prayer and the richness of this prayer. And I believe it it radically transformed their prayer life. And, and I hope it does does you as well. But as we pray, I think a big question is, what should we expect to happen? I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there, and people say, if you pray, this happens, or that happens, or this doesn't happen. And I think sometimes that makes us feel like our prayer life isn't good enough, or rich enough, or real, or sometimes I think we even feel like God God isn't real. So we want to have a quick conversation about what should we expect? What is normal? What will we experience for sure? Or what will be the kind of the commonalities of what we experience? How will we know if we're just wasting our time? 
And so, uh, Pastor, I'm going to start with you. Kind of yeah. walk us through. I know there's a number of things right. we're going to talk about here, but why don't you start us off with this idea of grace? Yeah, and these are um, these are drawn directly from Tim Keller's book on prayer. So he has a section um, toward the middle of the book where he talks about um, what prayer requires, what prayer does, and what we can expect from prayer. So uh, I think I, I've just kind of condensed those things to what what can we expect and included the ones that I thought were noteworthy, particularly interesting. Um, I, I think I only left out one, but it's because we had talked about it already. Um, so there are kind of nine, nine things that we're going to talk about here, each one very briefly, about some of the things as you begin to pray what you can expect. And the first thing um, that, that Tim Keller notes that I think, and I think he's right, um, is grace. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about this before, but my, in my own prayer life uh, with my boys, um, we do evening prayer together uh, as they go to bed. So I do evening prayer with each one individually. Um, and we do uh, Martin Luther's simple morning and evening prayer found in the catechism. Uh, so we make the sign of the cross, um, which Augustine is doing now, and it's a lot of fun that he's um, he's kind of learned how to do that, and, and he he likes doing it, and he likes talking about it. Um, and then we uh, say the creed, and then we pray the Lord's prayer, um, and that's that's kind of how we've started. And in my in my own experience, um, saying the Lord's prayer almost every night with them uh, has actually increased and grown my own prayer life. Um, I've actually become a better prayer because of this very simple prayer. Um, and I, and you mentioned it right at the end, Pastor Phil, uh, that the amen, how Martin Luther talks about the amen, that it's both mm-hmm. a command and a gift uh, to us. We can uh, we know we're supposed to pray and we're also promised um, some things in it. And what, we're, what you find as you begin to pray, as you begin to just get that inertia, as you've said it, just to get started when the Spirit allows you just to get started to pray, you actually find that it unlocks a lot of things for you. It's easy. Um, it's easy to fall back into the, our own laziness and our own own uh, fleshiness in that. Um, but expect to find a gift. Expect to find grace. Uh, prayer will become a little bit easier over time because you're, as you pray, God is giving you His Holy Spirit, and you're gonna find, um, you're gonna find some joy in it. Um, you're gonna find. Um, some peace in it. It's going to kind of open you up a little bit um, as you begin. So expect expect to find grace. Expect to find a gift um, that maybe you weren't um, looking for. Uh, and and here I think it's important to talk about when we feel at our worst. That's often when God is working the most. And when we feel at our best, that's when we're uh, that's when we're most likely to fall out of prayer and uh, to fall out of this connection with God. Um, so we need to kind of go at it with this humility and, and, um, yeah, we need to go at it with this humility so that we can always be receiving prayer as a gift. I don't know, um, how you, how you've experienced that, Pastor Phil. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, uh, grace means on my side, humility, mm. uh, that I, um, you know, I always identify, I'm learning to identify myself as a sinner saved by grace rather than as a Christian. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it means that I, uh, I'm, I have nothing over on anybody else. In God's eyes, I recognize my fallenness, my sinfulness, 
my brokenness, the thoughts that enter my mind, the all that kind of stuff that goes on, the way I respond in certain situations. I'm so aware of my own sinfulness, and that is a gift of the Holy Spirit, who has opened that up right. for me to see that. And then that leads to humility, and, and humility is a heart ready to receive grace. Um, I, I was struck by someone recently you know, who said, I'm a good person means is pride. Mm. You know, I'm a good person. I don't need to repent. Mm. That that is inherently prideful. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, I, I'm ignoring my own weaknesses and sins, and I don't need God. I don't need His forgiveness. And to to live in forgiveness means to be humble and recognize you're a sinner. That's the only identity we really have before God. Do you want me to go? Okay. Uh, yeah. And now fear of God. Yeah. Um, well, I. Uh, I, I, I've been impressed at times when I've prayed with people who have combined both fear and love of God in their praying. As I've listened to them pray, they pray with such, like a child coming to their father, and they pray with such love for God, such sense of being in his presence, but also with a recognition of the majesty of God and our society has completely lost the sense of the majesty of God, um, that God is to be held in awe. And I think I came closer to that in reading a book about hell. Hell's, and these are evangelical theologians who said, you know, it's in the scriptures. We can't keep on ignoring this. And the reality of hell, uh, of God's final judgment, uh, uh it stands behind all this. If you continually in pride turn your back on God and reject him and defy him, you're leading yourself to complete separation, which is hell, and hell is a reality. I mean, the person who speaks about that, I think I'm probably repeating myself at this point, but the one person in the New Testament that speaks of hell, 13 out of the 14 times the word is in the Scriptures, it's Jesus, mm-hmm. and he does that as a warning. And, and to... That 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 fear of God is is a recognition of God's majesty and that He is truly God and Lord, ruler of all, creator of all things, and yet at the same time, and I've heard people pray, there is such a love that God loves me. So it's a combination of fear and love in their prayer life, mm-hmm. and it, it's so revealing to hear people pray like that. Yeah. There's such a deep affection, such a recognition of God's kindness and mercy, and yet a sense of awe and respect. And prayer really has to reflect our relationship to God, which is a combination of those two things, mm-hmm. fear and love God. Okay. Like Luther says, yeah, like we should fear and love God, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, and, and that's... Uh, because of our sinful nature and then our being reborn again. Those two realities are always within us. So fear of God is um, is essential. Mm-hmm. If there's no fear of God or no recognition of his majesty, and, and it, when you live in faith, then you recognize his majesty. But when you live in, when you're living outside of faith, people see God as an enemy and... Um, because they have made God their enemy, yeah. and um, and there is a and things go badly, and there's a real fear of God and a terror, which is appropriate for having turned your back on God. Mm-hmm. 
But that's not God's character. Right. God's character is love. It's yeah. mercy. It's kindness. Mm-hmm. And prayer life that reflects fear and love is um, in touch with God. Yeah. And the dominant, the, God's minor is fear. God's major is love. Yeah, I, yeah I think, and it really depends on, um, you know, I, it was interesting to read Keller. Um, he's a Presbyterian, so he's well-versed in Calvin. Um, and in the kind of the Presbyterian um, tradition, and there's this, there's a strong strain in those more Calvinistic, Puritan, Presbyterian kinds of of uh, churches, church bodies, of the kind of turn or burn, like the fire and brimstone preaching, mm-hmm, yeah. the kind of revivalistic preaching. And so it was interesting to kind of read him because it was almost like he was hedging. He would use. He talked about fear, and it was almost like it felt like almost a Presbyterian dog whistle. Like, hey, here's the section where I'm going to talk about <laughs> yeah. how how scary God is, because those who don't, um, who aren't elect, are going to go to hell, and he that's his majesty. But then when he actually talks about fear, he talks about it as awe, like he uses the word yes. awe, um, which I think is probably a better description. Like biblically, we don't have. I think just because of the tradition of translation, we don't have um, that word embedded into the biblical um, into the biblical vocabulary. But I think awe might be might be the best word for it because, yeah, on one hand, it is scary, right? Our flesh does fear God, um, but God is like you've mentioned; He is He really is inclusive. He wants and desires for all to be saved. We yes. we hear that like he is an inclusive God and he is ready and willing and able to include anyone mm-hmm. who has faith in him. Um now there's some mystery about how how we come to faith, but but he really is all inclusive. And even and even those who are um who are not saved, who do not have the Holy Spirit, um who do not have faith, uh they're still children, right? There's still grace given to them. Even um, even if it isn't saving grace, there is still grace given um, to all people. That shows up in God's benevolence. That shows up in the petition about uh, the daily bread. God gives daily bread to all people, though sinful. But we pray in this petition, He would help us to realize this and receive our daily bread with with things. God cares for everyone, even though they turn their back on and hate Him. He still loves and gives. Yeah. And so then, and so then, the fear of God, especially for the Christian, is not. It, it it's not necessarily fear in the way that we think about. It. It's not terror no. at, at God. It's it really is an awe. It's it's an it's this it's this um, feeling when you come up against something that is incredibly powerful and not you. Right. That's so mm-hmm. you're yeah. And I and I think about these moments um, that I that I have um, in my prayer life and uh, and in in my life in my in my as I've walked um, or been drugged uh, by Jesus, right, in the, mm-hmm. in the faith, um, there are these moments where you, you're kind of clued in, the Spirit clues you in a little bit on how vast and big the work of God is and how incredible His saving work is, uh, how incredible His plan of salvation is for mm-hmm. the world. Um, and you really are. You're awestruck. You, you're overwhelmed um, and, and I think you think about it. T- 
terror really is the work of Satan. Right. That's, That's right. his modus operandi. Yeah, yeah. It's seduction, lying, and then terror. Yeah. And that's how he addresses it, and that terror can only become overcome by the cross. That's right, yeah. And, and the grace of God yeah. for sinners. And, yeah. and God does give, he, he does lay out two ways. He says there's a way of life, yeah, there's and there's a way, a way of death. Right. Um, but just like in Genesis, he doesn't say, if you eat the fruit, I'm going to kill you. He yeah, says, no. if you eat the fruit, you will die. Um, God doesn't work by terror in, in that way. And I actually came from a tradition, the Methodist tradition, that used terror. <laughs> it, it, it used that kind of revivalistic turn or yeah, burn. Right. Um, it, 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 it doesn't, and people become really suspicious of it. Yeah, that's right. And You're I, just manipulating me, preacher. Yeah, and I think that that's why there's such a, a distrust um, in the West uh, toward, or part of the reason why there's such a distrust, distrust in the West toward religion um, specifically Christianity, is because that's been the most popular brand yeah. of the Christian faith is this like behavior modification, turn or burn, fire yeah, and brimstone. Yeah. That's, what, that's what people have been hearing for two, you know, 250 years. Um, and I think people are tired of it. You know, I think that yeah. and that's what they expect to hear from Christians. Um, and so maybe fear... Fear's the right word because it's the biblical word, right? right. Um, but may you know certainly there's some work in helping people understand exactly how that word is is being used. I, I suspect for us, fear has more of the element of terror, whereas in the Bible, fear is more in the direction of awe and oh, respect. respect. Yeah, I think that that's right. I think that's right. Good. Well, with that, um, the next thing that Keller points out. Um, is that when we pray, we come to a sense of helplessness, which I think uh, is is healthy, right? And so this isn't um, this isn't kind of uh, unhealthy codependence. You know, we're not talking about we're talking about spiritual helplessness, not psychological helplessness. So yes. we're not trying to attach ourselves in an unhealthy way toward um, a pastor or a spiritual leader. Um, this yeah. is this is a helplessness, a realization that what God is doing for me is a gift, and that I can't do it myself. So this kind of goes back to that humility that we talked about right at the beginning, the grace and the fear. This is the humility aspect that um, when we pray, at some point we realize, um, and and it, the Holy Spirit preaches to us that we are we really are helpless beggars um, coming to God, um, and. And I think that this is helpful for us, this humility, because then we don't need to, if we come to God as beggar, as beggars and we have faith that God is going to do what he's promised to us, then we don't have to worry anymore about, is God hearing my prayer? Or will God answer my prayer? Or will God, um, is God actually listening to me? We know he is because we know our own helplessness. Um, and just like you mentioned that, how Martin Luther deals with the daily prayers is that everything, almost everything's kind of turned toward faith, that this is actually producing faith in us. It's giving us yes. the Holy Spirit, and we are yes. learning to see that as we pray for daily bread, that in fact, our daily bread is simply a gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we, that we do. It's actually just a gift, that there had, to been, there had to have been a truck driver who was called to that vocation to drive a truck to get the food to Kroger. And there right. had to be people who were called to, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like right. he, he was working um, way before I ever went in and bought the yeah. food at Kroger. Um, and so then we actually are we actually are brought to faith through that. But that's part of that helplessness is that humility, 
learning that, oh, I actually do have nothing um, and God's giving me everything. Yes. Do you have anything to say? No, okay. no. <laughs> you said it well. Okay, great, thanks. Um, you said it well. All right, let's move Eric. on. Um, and then we have uh, the next one that Keller points out is perspective, um, that God um, reveals his will to us and perspective to us in prayer. Pastor Phil, why don't you um, take this one? Oh, okay. Um, well, God's perspective is simply, I guess I'm repeating myself, God's grace towards us, and that he created us in order to love us and to bestow his gifts on us. God, God's character is self-giving love, and that's why that key word in the New Testament, agape, became so so it kind of took on a whole new life in the New Testament because it became a word for describing God's self-giving love. Mm-hmm. And that, that that self-giving love of God, that's the perspective that we learn in prayer, that God gives it himself to us um, on the cross, um, is always care- he cre- well. It, 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 all aspects of creation, redemption, and sanctification are all aspects of God's self-giving love. He created the world out of love. He sent His Son out of love. He works with us patiently and gently and slowly and meticulously to change us around and bring us to Himself. That is self-giving love. Everything mm-hmm. about God is self-giving. Mm-hmm. Everything about God is agape. Yeah. Uh, and that's the perspective. If that's what you mean by perspective, I, yeah, that is the perspective of prayer. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to add, we I, we won't hang around too much on this on this one, but uh, because yesterday uh, for our Linton service, I actually um, the teaching was on this kind of thing, um, looking at the 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 second and third petition of the Lord's Prayer. So if you want to hear more about that, gaining perspective, um, you can listen to that. Teaching, which will be posted right before this episode. So you can okay. actually find it right below this one um, on your podcasting app. Um, so let's move on. Then the next one is strength. Um, and this is, I think that maybe this is where uh, I think when it comes to the biblical truth and the confessional Lutheran tradition, uh, there is an undeniable teaching and truth to this. Uh, but I think that some Lutherans might squirm a little bit at this, that there is, in fact, a psychological and emotional strength that comes from yeah. praying, that we are actually, we are actually strengthened, um, and, and I, by the Holy Spirit, um, to, to be more healthy and more robust psychologically in our relationships, that when we pray to God, we are, in fact, actually changed. Because we're in communion with God. That's exactly right. Because yeah. that communion itself, that relationship to God is the whole trans is what transforms us. Yeah. And opens us up to ourselves, mm-hmm. to new aspects of ourselves, makes us opens us up to, to other people. Uh, that that communion with God it, it, it's the it's the basis of everything. And then sin is just the opposite. It's being estranged from God. The relationship is lost. And in that relationship, I turn in upon self, homo curvatus and say, and, and everything goes wrong. Right. And in communion with God, he, he puts me on that path of my transformation and growth. Communion with yeah. God is, is um, yeah. our life. Yeah, I, I like to say it this way, that there is... 
there is progress in the Christian life. Yes. We're just not the ones doing the work. That's we're not, right. We're not the ones right. make, making the yeah, progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in our American sense of pull yourself up by your bootstrap, the straps, you know, if I want to get, I got to run harder, I have to right. exercise more, it's all my self-will. And the spiritual life is almost the opposite. It's always God leading me, right. and I'm responding. My, my Faith is a response. That's right. The Christian life is a response to God's leading. I'm following where he's going. That's right. And, and I trust him because he's going there for my benefit, yeah, for my well-being. Right. That's right. Very good. Uh, so let's move on to the next one. Pastor, I'll let you... Yeah, about... Spiritual, um, spiritual reality. Spiritual, yeah, right. For me, this took place a long time ago when I read uh, some things about Carl Jung. And I... We in our society, our, we're closed off. We live sort of in a, a trapped reality. We're cut off from the spiritual dimension. And how do you make? How do you make? How you just make touch with the spiritual dimension? And it's through the depth of the soul, the unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that depth, out of that depth of the soul, we get intuitions, feelings. We get dreams. I, I was praying about something. I was sharing with you, Pastor Rick, something that went in my own family, and I, I was getting some dark thoughts were coming into me. I was becoming jealous and envious and angry, and I said, Lord, this isn't right. Help me. And all of a sudden, God gave me a verse from Scripture. just popped right into my head. It's, I went to the Bible and read it, and yeah, Lord, you're right. That that's what would come of my thinking at that dark thought. It will be to my destruction. And so... God spoke to me. Yeah, that he that thought popped into my head, and I think we have to realize that that's how prayer works. It, there's a kind of me- simple mechanics of God places thoughts in our minds, right. depths of the soul. We have to test them. Now, the danger of that, in, in Protestantism, has always been aware that the danger of that kind of thinking is I sort of go off half cocked in every direction because right. thoughts come into my mind. My communion with God is dependent upon my, the Word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I'm right. reading the studying the Word, that's shaping my mind. And and notice that example I gave you mm-hmm. of when I was struggling with this dark thought, this yeah. envy and anger. God gave me a passage of Scripture. That's right. And oh yes, yeah, so I looked it up. And but but that it's God speaks through the Word. And when we live in the Word. And the word shapes our thinking and feeling. That's an essential part of prayer, because right. that's God talking to us. Yeah. And 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 then these inner experiences, these intuitions and feelings. Mm-hmm. I would not put that down. I mean, otherwise you live in this secular world where we are locked into natural world, the physical right. reality, and that's all there is. And right. the spiritual has no impact. And I, I always try to find ways in which. The spiritual comes into our lives, mm-hmm. it, it intrudes upon our secular world in ways, yeah. near-death experiences, encounters with angels. I mean, okay, yeah. you got to test them, but yeah, right. the, the spiritual dimension does break in on this enclosed, locked-in-place secular world that has no room for the spiritual, right. for the divine, right. and that has got to be defeated. And I think understanding how God speaks through our souls, the depths of our souls, um, and talks within us, that that mechanics of that has to be understood, but always within the context that God talks to us through the Word. You have to be living in the Word for you to hear God's voice. Yeah, definitely the the world of the Bible that 
that scripture reveals to us a much different kind of world than the world that we think we see yes. and interact with. And I you know, and I think even Christians fall into um fall into a kind of secularized way of viewing oh, viewing yes. the world. And that's both both those who are left of center and right of center. Um, you know, for example, uh we we kind of boil down uh a lot of things down to the realm of ideas, but not yes. necessarily to the spiritual things. You know, yes. that, that you you know, yeah. scripture provides a way and, and Jesus in fact teaches and and hints at and uh, references the Old Testament that talks about how the rulers of the world, even even our own nations, there's there's a spiritual reality behind yes. how rulers operate in the world. And this is one thing I think that maybe Martin Luther didn't quite because everything was so political, you know, and he was trying to right. be really careful with the princes. I think he falls short a little bit on this aspect that you know, in fact, there's a spiritual reality behind um, how uh, how our politicians operate in the world. There's a spiritual reality behind how um, some pastors operate um, that's mm-hmm. unhealthy. That's in fact not from God. <laughs> right. That is, you know, and, demonic. And we and we make it we make it about ideas, and we sometimes neglect the spiritual reality. And right. when we pray, I think that we're we're confronted with the presence of God. Um, and we are given the Holy Spirit, and we are we become aware of God's presence through our own unconscious and our own uh, as as he as you said as he gives us thoughts and as the Holy Spirit preaches to us, just like you know the Holy Spirit did to you in that instance. Um, and it's always tested against the Word, you know. It always because God is consistent; He's not going to say right. something outside of His Word. So we can go to it and we can test it. Um, but then I think we're also made aware of. It's it's almost an apocalyptic view of the world where we're looking around and we go, oh man, there are, there's some dangerous things operating out there, and I right. need to enter into this um, almost this kind of spiritual warfare. I need to be praying against um, and asking God to deliver me and my neighbors from the evil one, from from oh, yeah. these kind of uh, demon. And, and you know, I I almost hesitate to use that word because it sounds superstitious. But it, you know, in all reality, the biblical, you know, the demonic things that are going on. We're more terrified the of the coronavirus than we are of Satan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, exactly and, and right. it, it's like uh, uh, Satan is very real. I mean, and, and it's subtle, and it's uh, <clears throat> and it's working. He works in, in all kinds of ways, and uh, within the church. Within me, with that dark thought coming into yeah, my mind, right. as I was going through this this particular thing in my family life, my extended family, some dark thoughts, and it, I realized <clears throat> that was a, that was partly me in the situation, and somebody else was feeding the thought yeah, too. That's exactly you know, right. I can't. And I'm not going to blame the devil. No, that right. was that was my responsibility right. to to take on that negative thought, that dark thought, right. and 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 I I went immediately to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't yeah. like this. Help yeah. me, and. We live in the midst of that. I'm more and more aware of that, and um, the, the the reality of the demonic. And we have to really confront this closed box of secular th- yeah. world that everything it can only be understood truly by science. Right. Well, science opens up a lot, and there's no doubt about it. But there's more to the life than this closed mm-hmm. physical universe. That's right. There's a whole spiritual dimension surrounding us, right. and we have to be careful how we relate to it. Right. <clears throat> I mean, it's not just that it's out there. Wowie, isn't yeah, that something? Right. Yeah. You can be getting into 
evil things, uh, things that will lead you astray. Mm-hmm. That's why <clears throat> living in the Word, living in a continual relationship with God through the Word keeps you connected to your spiritual anchor, to, to the right. spiritual truth that will guide you through all these wild things that can be coming yeah. at you in yeah. you know spiritually and, and every other way. Yeah. yeah, and I think that um I think that you're right on. And and I think that actually leading when we listen to scripture and we allow it to shape and form how we understand the world, it actually it doesn't lead us into the kind of uh I know that that in some circles in Christian circles they become a little bit too fixated on um either kind of demonic yeah. spiritual reality, uh, but just spiritual reality in general, um, yeah. that they start seeing, you know, they start seeing demons behind every, you know, couch cushion and, you right. know, whatever. Right, And And I don't think, I think, like, really good biblically informed, um, the spiritual reality, biblically informed spiritual reality doesn't lead us there, but I think it actually does lead us to a, a better engagement with right. the actual, with the world around us. We're, we're actually compelled to... Um, Love our. We're, we're compelled to love. We're compelled to love our neighbors well. Yes, yes. We're actually we're compelled to appreciate and and see the beauty in the world. I think it leads us this kind of view, and it and it really is a rejection of modernity and saying no. There's something. There's something good about how ancient people saw the world, and right. specifically, there's something really good about um, God's revelation in the scriptures and this kind of how. Uh, Israel, which of course the nation of Israel didn't always uh, actually listen to the scriptures. They didn't actually always listen to God. Um, but there's a there's a good thing that the ancients had yes. um, in the scriptures, and there's a good thing in how they viewed the world. And so it's kind of rejecting modernity and saying, no, we need to go back to this kind of ancient way of understanding. There's a wholeness the in the ancient world. That's right. A completeness. Yeah. And what I was reacting against in that overly yeah. rational, what came out of my Lutheran upbringing, which is an aspect of the Lutheran church that's hyper-rational. Right. You know, and it's like, beware of anything spiritual, you know, it's like, hold it, I, I need yeah. my soul needs to get in touch with the spiritual yeah. dimension. And, and you read Luther. Luther lived... Oh, he, he was spiritually intense, spiritually aware, spiritually sensitive to God. Yeah. His spirit was alive, yeah. grounded in the Word. He was intelligent and right. thoughtful, brilliant man. Mm-hmm. But but I, I, I was reacting, reacting against two things. One, this hyper-rational Lutheranism I was right. raised in, and then that really well n- melded in with the secular, closed universe of the secular right. world. And against that, studying Carl Jung opened my me to the depths of my soul mm. and the spiritual dimension and how God talks to me through the yeah. depths of the soul. That's how I came to that, I think. Yeah, that's good. And by the way, um, listeners, if you are if you are wanting to read more or are interested in this conversation about, um, especially around Carl Jung and the unconscious, right. um, there's a Christian author, he's, he's a Franciscan monk named Richard Rohr. He kind of goes a little bit a field on some things. Yeah. So just like anything, whenever you read a book by anybody, you know, discern it carefully. Don't take right. everything they say as as gospel truth. Um, but Richard Rohr has a lot of work. He he's kind of a Jungian philosopher, and he so he has some good things about this very conversation. And, and Carl Jung was not a Christian. His right, father, I right. think, had been a, a Dutch reform or a Swiss reform pastor, but he he was not a Christian. He was right. a pagan in many ways. But but you. 
he helped us become right. aware of the That's depth right. of the soul. That's right. Yeah. So there's um, some resources out there. So you can look up Richard Rohr if you want an introduction to kind of Jungian. I would encourage Morton Kelsey. Richard, he, Morton this Kelsey. Oh, that's the book. I actually, a couple of weeks ago, I, in the uh, description of an episode when you brought up Morton Kelsey's book, what is it right. called? That, uh, that you liked? There's a bunch of them. Okay. I, can't, I can't think of the one right okay. off the head. I, I it's been leaked, a while since I leaked I've read Warren it. Kelsey's book a couple weeks ago, so I'll do that again. Right. Um, but he's another, he's a Christian. And he's a Christian, a, and he mm-hmm. tries to appropriate the Jungian stuff in a Christian way. And don't be critical of every author, right. author you read. I mean, don't just take everybody at face value, but everybody has a nugget of truth right. they can give you, even a pagan right. or a, a Christian. You know, you be, yeah. be open to the truth. Yeah. All right, I think this is going to be the last one that we'll do. Uh, well, the last two, uh, I think that we've touched on a little bit in the ones above, so we won't bother with those. The last one is self-knowledge. And we've talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, so we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it. Um, but there is this aspect, and again, Lutherans are going to be a little bit, uh, modern Lutherans might be a little bit scared of this. Um, but when we pray, we do learn about ourselves. Oh, yeah. And there is a sense uh, because uh, because we are baptized and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a sense that when we go into ourselves, that the Holy Spirit does preach to us through, just like you mentioned, our own unconscious, our own thoughts. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, the external word comes into us. And oftentimes it does sound like our own voice in our head. It does sound like the thoughts are coming from within us, even right. though it is the external word. But there is this sense that we are, there's self-knowledge that comes through prayer. Right. As we interact with God, so I don't know if you wanted to talk a little yeah, bit. Yeah, um, it, but it's always self knowledge in relationship to God. That's it's, right. The the world self knowledge is is me as an isolated individual, yeah. and, and I'm and, good enough. And if I just if yep. I just you know learn more about myself, then I can face my problem. Yeah. Yep, yep. And I struggle with that point. And the more I, my self knowledge is connected to my relationship to God, right. the healthier it is. Right. And probably the the clearer and truer it is that self knowledge gains in that relationship. It's yeah. always relationship to God that that is my source of my truth in life. Yeah, yeah. I think the question is does it does it lead you back out? Does it? You know, yes. Think there there is an aspect <clears throat> in prayer that we do, and and even in yep. meditation that we do go into ourselves. Right. But it should always lead us back. Yeah. Out, and I think that that makes a difference between um, some of the self help life coaching kind of style that is really popular right now, the kind of spirit, American spirituality that's really popular right now, which is find out about myself, do personality profiles, like learn how I operate in the world. And it, it's just like, is this keep, you just right. keep digging and digging and digging into yourself. And I think in Christian prayer, we do go in, uh, into ourselves, we do gain a self-knowledge, but it ultimately leads us out into the external world. Yeah into what God has said to me and what God has promised to me. Yep. And it leads us into this relationship with God. And it also leads us to work for our neighbor. I mean, it does lead us to love. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. So. Now I can still be serving. I'm 75. I'll be 75 years old in July. God's still calling me to serve. Yeah, you're busy. I, yeah, I'm amazed. <laughs> you know, it's like, but God's given me an active mind and he's called me. To, and it's, it's Wonderful people in the churches that churches that are struggling and and I'm concerned for them and for their faith life and their relationship to Christ and you can and they're looking for spiritual leaders. We need pastors. We need young pastors to come into these small churches and and help them uh, and keep the faith alive. Keep it alive. Yeah. Um, I'm concerned about them. Yeah, and I think that I think that prayer really allows us to allows us to flourish in a way that. Um, 
just working in the realm of ideas doesn't, which I think is again primarily how American Christians operate right now. Um, is in the realm of ideas about having the right ideas, and I think that and ideas are important, of course. Yeah. Um, but I think that prayer, because it leads us into this personal relationship with God, it kind of leads us into this this personal realm uh, where we do explore self knowledge, where there's this sense of of awe and fear with the other, where we get the strength, where we're aware mm-hmm. of the spiritual world around us. Um, I think it, I think it leads leads us to greater beauty. Um, and it, and I really do believe, and I think this is, this is partly why I began to take my faith seriously, um, by the grace of God, of course, is that, um, I was awakened to the fact that this really is simply the best way to operate in the world. This really is like when, when it comes to all the (laughs) options, um, this is the one that not only makes the most sense, but it actually produces the best healthiness. That's Um, profound, Eric. And that's very true. Yeah. And so I think it one of the things that early mantras that I um, that I picked up when I again when I was awakened to this was um, if Jesus really is the Son of God, he's probably the best person to to listen to on issue on things like right. on issues of, of how to live. Um, and so really this this prayer um, and, and prayer takes us just from the realm of ideas. It takes us yeah. just from knowing and understanding the word, which is important. Um, yeah. to actually having this personal engagement with God um, through the Word. But, but the relationship to the Word, is it, the Word is a living Word. In other That's words, right. it's personal. It's That's personal. Right. It's God yeah. as a and it person. it should lead us to prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. It's, a, it's not just a head trip. It's a personal, yeah. God yeah. speaking His personal Word to you and me as persons. I mean, yeah. it, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> that was engaging. <laughs> right. All right, that's going to bring our conversation to a close today. And so we covered really two two big things, is how to pray, and then what do we expect from prayer. And so hopefully you guys had something to take home, put into practice, uh, hopefully you understand the Lord's Prayer in a deeper way, and then also you know what you're going to get from prayer. And it's not maybe as flashy as you were hoping, uh, but it definitely has a, a ton of power connected to it. And so hopefully your prayer life is 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 deeper and as a count of just listening to us today. And so we look forward to having a conversation with you next week, and we will talk to you then.